Have you ever had that moment when you ran into a door thinking that you needed to push when in actuality you were supposed to pull? You might be surprised to hear that whose fault it is, but let's talk about it. Welcome to Design Dive, the podcast that explores design that's all around us every Wednesday in just 10 to 15 minutes so you can get on with your day. My name's Chris Downs, and whether you're a designer or simply just curious about design and how it impacts our everyday life, you're in the right place. So let's dive in. Today, we're going to talk about doors. I know that sounds odd and so general, but this is going somewhere. Now, like this intro talked about, we often run into situations where we don't know whether or not to pull or push a door, and there are different kinds of doors everywhere. The minute you start looking for where bad doors are, you'll notice that they're not in short supply. They are all over the place. So why are they so bad? Doors have been around forever. It's not like they're a new concept, but these bad doors are called Norman doors. They're named after a man by the name of Don Norman. Now, if you're in the design world, you know who this guy is. He wrote a book called The Design of Everyday Things, originally published in 1988. This is an essential book when it comes to discussing design and most importantly, design that impacts users and people that are interacting with it. Now, he his inspiration behind why he wrote this book was he was traveling in England at one point and got so frustrated that he couldn't operate a light switch, a water faucet, and even doors properly. Every time he came into contact with one, they were different. They weren't the same across the board. And to him, it just frustrated him. So he decided to write this book and talk about this problem, specifically highlighting doors. Now, one thing that he addresses in this book, and just to summarize that, it is not your fault if you struggle with the door. If you have had that moment where you are pushing when you really need to be pulling or, or vice versa, it you're not the only one. It is not you that's the problem, and it's really whoever designed the door in the first place. And if there are more people that are struggling with that door other than you, that's a good sign that it is a bad door. So let's define what a Norman door is. To me, it's kind of hilarious that he does name a bad door after himself. Uh, it's kind of the reverse of what you would normally expect. Uh, but to define what a Norman door is, it is there's two definitions. One, one, a door where the design tells you to do the opposite of what you're actually supposed to do. And two, a door that gives the wrong signal and needs a sign to correct it. So similar, but to sum it all up, the design of the door is misleading and causing others to use it incorrectly. And thus we see the the classic sign that you see telling you whether to pull or push. 
So why should a door have a sign? Shouldn't it just be obvious? Really, if a door is using a sign to tell you whether to pull or push, the the door has been designed incorrectly. It shouldn't need that. So let's talk about some important terms that help us break this down a little bit. The first term is called discoverability. It is the ability to discover what operations one can do. So for example, there's so many designs that do an amazing job at this. Uh, Smartphones. We are easily inclined to go to certain places, do certain things that aren't really being told to us what to do. And if you've noticed, there isn't a huge instruction manual that comes with them most times. I'm at least thinking of uh, your big brand phones like iPhones or Samsung. But those phones, they don't need a big instruction manual to tell you what to do because you've been using them for long enough. And really, even if the design is shifted, you still recognize it. Uh, A ballpoint pen, I'm going to throw back to one of my past episodes. Uh, A stapler, a trackpad on a laptop. You, You just naturally know what to do without a sign telling you how to do it. Again, some of these elements are just because we've used them for so long, it's second nature to us, but there's power in that. You can even say a door has been around for even longer than all of these things, yet it is the worst at this. A second term that's important to discuss is feedback. Now, going along with what discoverability is, this is in conjunction with this a signal of what happened. So if we go back to some of my earlier examples, let's consider those. A smartphone, types of feedback that we see are maybe haptic feedback, where your phone actually vibrates as you tap certain things. Or uh, if you're filling out a form and when you go to submit it, it comes up with these red air messages. There's some sort of signal or feedback that's being given. Same with the ballpoint pen. What's the feedback? It's that clicking sound. When you go to click the pen, you know that it's ready to go. There is some sort of sound that is given that lets me know that the action I performed was performed correctly. Same with the stapler. I staple some papers together and there's a a click that lets me know that the staple was delivered through the paper and everything's good. A trackpad. We see trackpads that have a click. When I roll over it and push down, there's a clicking sound. That is intentional on purpose. There's feedback in that that's signaling to the user that what they're doing was received and they don't have a second guess. So these two terms, discoverability and feedback, are terms that designers and engineers focus on today and is formed into what we call user-centered design. Simply put, user-centered design is focusing more on the person behind the product rather than the one who's creating the product and what they think is best. By focusing on that person or individual and their needs, you're creating the best product that's gonna work for them. Now, when 
we're working with a product and trying to perfect it, a pattern is formed when we're trying to observe how people are using it. Uh, and, and simply we are trying to understand how something can be improved with this cycle. First, we observe what's being done. We see that an individual is struggling or succeeding. We're just simply watching what happens. If you're a people watcher, you're going to love this field because a lot of what you do is just see what happens to things that you've created. And then based on what happens, there's ideas generating. You're starting to understand, wait, they're struggling with this. Could it be because of X, Y, Z? Oh, they actually went this way instead of this way. Why is that? What's the thought process? So ideas are being generated. And then based on those ideas, we start to create um, potential other uh, iterations. And this leads to what we call prototyping. We start to create actual tangible examples of what the improvement could be. And then lastly, we move to testing, where we start to test that new uh, prototype or iteration. And again, that circle continues. We observe what happens. It generates ideas. We then prototype, test, and we, we go through this cycle again and again, however many times necessary until that product is improved. Now, naturally, I, I'm summing this up very generally, uh, and I'm doing that on purpose. This cycle, if we focus on it, we will naturally create a product that works, that actually works. And so this pattern is used all over the world in many professions and across many industries. So according to, let's go back to Don Norman, you might ask him, well, what is a better human-centered door? If you could put the perfect door out there, since you seem to be the professional and the one writing this book addressing the issue, what is it? Well, he tells you that a door that's perfect is one that you do not have to think twice about and doesn't use any signs. He gives an example that if you're pushing, maybe a flat plate on the door that the user can't interact with or do anything except push. Or even one of those bars, if you can picture this, that has this big old button that you push on that's to one side of the door. He says that also works because you get that feedback uh, that we talked about. When you push in, there's that clicking noise, and I know what side of the door I'm pushing on. There's no guessing. Uh, same with pulling, just a simple handle is, is straightforward. Now, even though I'm talking a lot about doors, an example, this principle follows throughout everything. Everything that I've talked about on this podcast and other designs that are all around us utilize this principle of focusing on the user and that it's really not the user's fault if they're struggling with it. In my profession as a product designer, uh, I focus solely on how a user interacts with a software. So not a physical product, but a digital one. And you learn very quickly that no matter how pretty the quote door unquote is, the user is always right. So the next time you're struggling with a shower faucet, uh, the windshield wiper controls in your car, 
an application on your smartphone, or even a door, keep in mind that you're not the one that's the problem. It's the one who designed it. You just discovered a design flaw and a type of Norman door. And that's our dive. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow the channel, leave a rating or review, and share this podcast with others. But until next time, keep learning, stay inspired, and remember, design is all around us. See you.